0: Chris is going to bring us this week's scripture, which is from Matthew 28. You're probably going to say that, aren't you? You No, I'm spoiling it. it. Thank you. Okay. The word comes from Matthew 28, 16 to 19. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you, God, for Sue, who's um, sought you out this week and has brought in your word this morning. I pray that you'd just inspire afresh with your Holy Spirit now and that you'd open our hearts and our ears that we're able to hear what it is you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can you all hear me? Um, Ray, could I trouble you for a glass of water, please? Would you mind? Is the one. I'm going to blame the band's fault because um, the worship was just too good. Um, I've also knocked my earpiece off while I was dancing around, so can you hear me okay? Am I alright? Yeah, the the worship was really good. It's not left me with the best voice, but I enjoyed it. Perhaps it's a blessing for you a lot as well. Right, yeah. So today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 19. It's pivotal that it's linked to James' talk last week about the authority. Um, What I'm going to do, I'm going to initially set the scene, I'm going to give you an introduction, and then I'm going to head it under four W's. Why, what, when, and who, and then I'm going to draw it all together in a conclusion at the end. So, Jesus has gathered his band of disciples. They're back up on a mountain. Can you just imagine the excitement They're sat at his feet. They've been here before. They've done this for three years. They know he was crucified. He's risen. And he's back up there, stood in front of them, teaching them. And they're sat at his feet. That must have really stirred them. Because it's like, this is the real deal. He's resurrected. This is the real deal. Jesus basically has drawn them together... And he's going to commission them. This is the Great Commission. He's going to give them their job description now. Because Jesus knows that he's about to ascend to heaven, to his Father. And in between his ascension and when he returns, his second coming, the job is being passed over to the disciples and the generations that go down and ultimately to us. So it starts off, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Have you ever looked at the mountain scenes in Matthew? We start off with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. Jesus draws his disciples and he gives the famous Sermon on the Mount and he, he gives the Beatitudes, the attitudes that, that we should have how their attitudes should be with each other, with other people, with with, with non-Christians, with the world. Big, big, big sermon. We then have the transfiguration. In chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James and John up a mountain. His figure transforms right in front of them. I just imagine a human light bulb just glows with light. He manifests the glory of his father has a conversation with a couple of get-dead guys, Moses and Elijah. Big moment. We have the Olivet Prophecy. Jesus takes the disciples back up a mountain, the Mount of Olives, and he tells them about the end times. He prophesies about what will happen in the final days, in the last days. He spells it out for them and for us. Big moment. We have the crucifixion on Calvary. Calvary. So when Jesus gets these disciples and says to the 11 disciples, go up the mountain, I'll meet you there. It's kind of like a red flag moment. It's like a bit of a hint, this is big. What I'm going to share with you, this is important. It's like there's a link between the topography and the weight of the message and the weight of what's coming. And it's like a red flag moment. Recognise this is a big one. Just to rewind you back a little bit, there's another mountain scene in Matthew which I think is actually quite connected to this bit of scripture. And it's when Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's been fasting for 40 days and the devil comes along and the devil tempts him. I just want to read the scripture. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, And he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will only bow down and worship me. So fast forward back to the mountain that we're on with the 11 disciples in front of him. And Jesus stands there and he looks around and he says... All of this, I've got authority over. This isn't a humble carpenter anymore. This is the resurrected son of God saying, all of this you can see, all of these lands, I've got authority over. Those countries you can't see beyond it, I've got authority over. The stars in the sky, the planets beyond them, I've got authority over. He's he's answering the devil back, and he's, he's making the point he's got authority and the reason it is so important and it's so connected to what James was saying last week was because when Jesus commissions the disciples and us, we go in his authority. And he has the authority. When we go out, it's like when a policeman goes out and arrests somebody, he does it under the authority of the law. Not under the authority of Joe Bloggs, the policeman, under the authority of the law. When we go out, when we talk to people, we do it under the authority of Jesus. So, the process is evangelism and discipleship, and hopefully in the mix of baptism. The reality is evangelism is going out and it's initially telling the people, giving them a leaflet, bringing them into church. But the discipleship, that's like the continued learning, the continued imparting, expounding the word, sharing what you know. I like to call it the aftercare program. I like to think of the discipleship as the aftercare program. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28... It says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We have a responsibility as overseers to oversee the flock. All of us. Not just the pastors, not just the vicars, not just the bishops, not just the deacons, not just the elders. We all have a responsibility. I've written down, it's a bit like if you had a newborn baby in the woods. If you physically reproduced and you had a baby, you wouldn't just leave it at a bus stop and go, "Okay, God, over to you." You'd nurture it, and it's the same when you spiritually reproduce, when you share the gospel, when you disciple somebody. There's a responsibility to nurture. There's, a, there's that same responsibility is carried on. So, why? Why do we need to disciple? The bottom line is it's important. If you think of um, a revival, and the revivals in the past, when we've had great revivals, and somebody stood at the front, and they've preached, and it's moved people, and it's stirred them, and they've done an altar call, and masses have come up, and they've accepted Jesus. And then over the subsequent months, that flame of enthusiasms, like dwindled down to a flicker. The issue is they haven't been discipled discipleship is as important as evangelism. Jesus knew this. That's why in the commission he says, go make disciples. He didn't say, go make converts. He said, go make disciples. Because the aftercare bit is as important as initially telling them about him. Paul knew it. Paul would go out and he'd plant a church in a country, move on, plant a church, move on. But Paul knew the importance of discipleship because after Paul had planted a church, he'd write to them, he'd follow up, he'd encourage them, he'd edify them. If necessary, he'd rebuke them, but he would disciple them. And we know this because the epistles are Paul's follow-up letters. The epistles are Paul's discipleship letters. Paul knew the importance of discipleship. The Great Commission was passed on to the disciples and it's come down and it's come down to us and it's our Great Commission now. It's us that should be doing this. God so loved the world that whoever believeth in him shall get eternal life. We have a role to share that message But also to nurture those people along the way. A a term that I've only very recently, kind of in the last couple of months, kind of um, become familiar with is spiritually sterile. I'm a bit slow on the uptake, but it was put to me that when a Christian doesn't spiritually reproduce, they become spiritually sterile challenged me a bit but the reality is if it's all of our jobs then is it fair to sit back and leave it up to everybody else if you had passed the parcel and the parcel comes along to you and you take a layer off and your little tag says welcome you're now a child of God you have the opportunity of having a relationship with the creator and eternal life you'd bask in that you'd love it, you'd you'd absorb it But then, knowing that the same card is on the next layer, and the next layer, and the next layer, if you didn't pass that on, it's a little bit selfish. And that's kind of why it's our role to pass the message on and disciple and then nurture those people. So what does discipleship look like? I kind of summed it up in one word. I really churned it over And I came up with the word time. It's spending time with somebody. I think the greatest gift you can give a a, a new convert is the gift of time. And in the same way, I think when we physically reproduce, the greatest gift we can give our kids is time. It's playing chess with them, it's going for a walk with them, it's going on a bike ride with them, it's doing homework with them. But the greatest gift we can give our kids is time. It's better than any amazing Xbox for their birthday because time shows genuineness. You're not buying somebody. And I think it's the same with a kind of... When you spiritually reproduce, it's the same. To spend time with somebody is the most important element. I sometimes think it better if we had fewer converts and more time spent with them. The world's theology is kind of, go out there and bring in the masses. But if we all spent as much time as possible with one person, I bet there'd be a greater revival. When Paul had his road to Damascus experience and he had the penny-dropping moment and he got it. Jesus is my saviour. Jesus is the salvation. Jesus is the way. God knew the importance of discipleship because God didn't just drop him on the job. He took him to Arabia for 12 years and God discipled him. Not the disciples, God discipled him. He took him to places, he imparted things to him, he he opened up the scriptures to him. God knew the importance of discipleship. He knew the importance of passing it on and of going to a depth. And the reality is, when Paul was then dropped on the job, he covered over 4,000 kilometers. He visited every major city in Asia Minor. He visited the most important cities in Greece, and he went to Rome twice. That energy was carried on with it. Discipleship is teaching people how God would want them to live. It doesn't have to be any in-depth theology of Romans. You know, if you want to go down to that level, that's fine. But it's sharing the basics. You know, Proverbs, chapter 6. The six things that God hates. The seventh that he finds detestable. Haughty eyes, lying tongue. Innocent blood spilt. A heart that schemes wickedness. Feet that rush to evil. Bearing false witness stirring in the community to be paraphrased by me but it's teaching people how to live as as Jesus would want them but also teaching them what Jesus wouldn't want you know a bit like your kids you teach them what you want them to do but you also say there are things that we don't want you to do that's discipleship and it's praying for people do you still pray for your converts the people who you've spoken to the people who you've drawn to God Do you cover their walk with prayer? When we disciple people, they see how it's done and how to replicate it. I quite often say to Mark, our kids don't do what we say. They do what we do. And the more the years have gone on and the more I've witnessed it in other people's kids, I absolutely believe that. Our kids don't do what we say. They do what we do. So if we disciple people, we're showing them then, when they then share the gospel, how, to dis- how they should disciple. And then spreading the news doesn't become addition, it becomes multiplication. When they start doing it as well, it's showing people by template. So that's why and that's what. When? When do you disciple somebody? I don't think it's age-related. I know it's not age-related. But I do think that there's a level of spiritual maturity that's necessary. Because the bottom line is you can only give out what's gone in. And if somebody, if, if, you haven't, if you haven't been discipled yourself or if you haven't had the discipline to disciple yourself, then you're not going to be able to give it out. But I don't think it's age-related. And the reason I say that is there's, there's many people that call into... Um, Mark and, and my house, and we for prayer, for support, for talks, for chats, and the same on the phone. And I've known instances where our Howard, who's fourteen year old, we've been out and he's sat down with somebody on the end of the phone and he's settled their spirit and he's prayed with them. He's fourteen, but he's spiritually mature. It's not age related. So who? Who do we disciple? Who does the discipling? Well, the bottom line is when we're born into the family of God, it it becomes a role that we should look to take on. We should take it seriously. Jesus commissioned the disciples, go and disciple. We should take it seriously because it's, it's passed on to us. God didn't select the educated and the wealthy to physically reproduce on the planet. Initially, he said to everybody, go forth and multiply. And so it's the same with spiritually reproducing. It's a communal responsibility. It's Like I said before, it's not just up to the pastor. It's not just up to the elders or the leaders. It's something really that we should all partake in. So who do we go and disciple? I've written down, recognise the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Who is the one person that God put, has put in front of you? Who is the one person that you can draw alongside and that you can share with? In the parable of the lost sheep, it was one lost sheep. Who is the one that God has put in front of you? Parents disciple your kids because the reality is if you leave it to the Sunday school teachers it will take longer to get in. One of the um, families that stop with us a lot of you will know Jürgen and Katia. Something that really humbles me when they when they stop is that every morning after breakfast Jürgen and Katia sit down with their kids and they have Bible study for half an hour and they'll open up a passage and they'll talk about it and the kids will ask questions and they'll share and they'll answer and they'll bounce things back and I take my hat off to them. That's become like a part of the rhythm of their life. To them it is so important that their kids understand scripture. So to conclude. If there's no growth in Christian converts, it's because there's no discipleship. Don't think that giving somebody a leaflet or bringing them to church finishes the job because the reality is it yeah, actually Starts the job. It's it's the beginning of the job, not the end of the job. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9. He said, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul's prayer... (coughs) for all of those churches he'd planted and all of those new Christian converts was spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity comes with discipleship. The two go hand in hand. Know Christ and make him known. I don't think it is about numbers. I really genuinely do think it's about time. It's about investing in time, nurturing with with that one person. I've put down. You might lead somebody to Jesus in 20 years, but the reality is it might take you 20 weeks or or 20 years to disciple them. Sorry, you might lead them into Jesus in 20 minutes. My point being, it can take months or years of you still supporting them, still walking alongside them. I've also written, if you're prepared to win souls for God, have you won your own soul? Are you disciplined in your own devotional time? Are you discipling yourself? Jesus concludes his great commission. He says, I am with you always. And that's the crucial element in it, is when we go out and when we share the word with people and when we draw alongside them, it's God in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us. He's with us. He doesn't abandon us. He speaks through us into their lives. When we're born again, this is our main job. You may be a doctor, that's brilliant, but this is your main job. You may be a vet, fantastic, but this is your main job. Architect, solicitor, barrister, whatever you do when you're born again to share the word of Jesus is your main job. Because the reality is on judgment day, you may be asked, how many sheep did you disciple and bring in? Thank you.